Matthew 5:38 to 48. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to see you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, good morning. Welcome to Reality Church London. For those of you I haven't yet met, my name is Bijan. I'm pastor here for our church and really glad to be gathered together for worship today. We remind ourselves every Sunday that we're one church gathered in two places. Some of us are here in person. Others of us are gathering virtually. But throughout the city, we gather together this morning to study God's word and to worship him. And so let's pray now and then get to work looking at Matthew chapter 5. Our God, thank you for gathering us together this morning to look at this passage. And so with our Bibles now open in front of us, we ask that you would open up our understanding Help us to see and to hear what Jesus wants to say to us, and help us to be transformed even as we do so. We pray all this together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So for the past few weeks, we've been in a series looking at Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's Jesus's most famous set of teaching. And what we've said each week is that the focus of these verses is about discipleship the character and the conduct that is supposed to identify Jesus's followers in the world. And today, the topic that we're exploring is what it means to love enemies, loving enemies. Now, in 1962, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the American civil rights leader, wrote a sermon on this passage. And at one spot in that sermon, he said that Jesus's command to love your enemy just may be the most difficult thing that Jesus ever asked his followers to do. I mean, hear that, that what's before us today just may be the most challenging thing that Jesus ever asked any of his followers to do. Notice Jesus did not say, I want you to ignore your enemies. Just pretend they're not there. He didn't say, I want you to tolerate them. Just grind your teeth and bear it. He said, I want you to love your enemies. To love someone is to care more about their well-being than you do your own. To love someone is to long, it's to yearn for their joy and for their flourishing. And Jesus says, that's how I want you to treat your enemies. The people that don't like you and maybe the people that you don't like. 
Now, that is the hardest thing that Jesus has ever asked of his followers, but also it is the hope of the world. This is the key solution for so many of the problems that I think we face, and it's also the healing of your own soul. Because you know, even this morning, if you're here or with us virtually, and if you at this moment find yourself with bitterness and resentment to another person, you know that that's a kind of bondage. This is Jesus' invitation to freedom and to wholeness, to learn to love our enemies. And so, this may be the hardest thing that Jesus has ever asked, but it's the hope of the world, it's the healing of our soul. Let's see what this means for us. Three things for us today in this passage. First, why loving an enemy matters. Second, how to love an enemy. We'll get practical. And then third, what you need if you're going to be a person who can love their enemy. So why it matters, how it happens, and what you need to be a person who can actually love their enemy. So first, why does loving an enemy matter? And I think we should start by asking the question, well, what is an enemy? Some of you out there can think of 10 people right now who are your enemies. Others though, this is actually kind of a hard topic. And you say, well, you know, there's some people that I maybe don't get along really well with, but I don't have enemies. I mean, there aren't people that I hate. But I think this teaching has relevance for all of us. And so the question is first, how do we even begin to understand who it is that Jesus is calling us to love? And here's a question that you can ask yourself to begin to discern who you might be viewing as an enemy in your own life. Here's the question. Is there anyone that you know, is there anyone that you can think of that if something bad happened to them, if you heard some bad news that befell them, that would bring you joy? And think if you can answer yes to that. If there's anyone that comes to mind, if anyone's pain would bring you a little bit of pleasure, if in your heart you kind of root for their downfall, maybe you would never say so publicly, but inside you're just hoping that there's some bad news that comes their way. Well, that's probably someone that you're viewing as an enemy. This could be someone that you know, someone that's hurt you personally, someone who's taken advantage of you, betrayed you, someone who hasn't given you a fair shake. This could be someone who's hurt someone that you love. And that's painful to watch people around us hurt by others. Still more, this could be someone that you've never met. Maybe an influential person or a political leader, someone who has views and ideas that you find to be very much in contradiction to your own. Someone you know, someone that you've never met. But Jesus says the enemy is the person that you would, in your heart, root for their downfall. And Jesus is saying, those are the very people that I'm calling you to love. And let me show you, I'll give you four reasons why loving an enemy matters. Why we should care about what Jesus is saying. Why this teaching has relevance for us. The first, loving an enemy matters because when we do so, we show the world a totally new way of being a community. We show the world a new way of being a community. Again, we're going to be marching right through the passage, so keep your Bibles near you. But in verse 43, Jesus says this, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, Jesus in that moment is summarizing what is the wisdom of the world, sort of the tradition that everyone who was listening to him would have said, yeah, we know that. And Jesus is saying basically this, everybody takes care of their own people. 
the people that you have something in common with, the people who are from your country, or the people who look like you, or the people who went to the kind of schools that you did. Love your neighbor. Love the people who are like you, who are part of your family, and hate everyone else. That's the way the world turns. We take care of our own, and at best, we ignore others, and at worst, we actually look down on them. And you know this to be the case, that sometimes if there's people out there that stand for something that's very different than what you believe is right, you don't just ignore them, but you actually take a kind of pride in looking down on them. That's why if you're an Arsenal fan, you don't just like Arsenal, you hate the Spurs. I mean, there's a kind of pride and a glory in looking down on people who are different. And Jesus says that's how the world turns. But discipleship is a call to be different. You are called to love even your enemies. And what Jesus is doing in that moment is he's helping us recognize that the way the world functions, there are three kinds of categories that you put people in. There are some people that you love. There are other people that you're just neutral about, don't really have strong feelings one way or the other. And then there's other people that you hate. And Jesus would say for the disciple, there's one category. There's someone made in the image of God. And Jesus is saying, regardless of what you might not have in common, regardless of how much you might feel angry towards another person, regardless of what kind of hatred and hostility there might be, still, I'm calling you to love them across difference and love them in spite of the pain. Jesus here is breaking down the walls of tribalism. He's asking us not to think in us and them mentality, but he's actually saying, that person that you hate is made in my image, and I'm calling you to love them because of who they are in my image. Jesus is inviting us to see that in loving enemies, we actually begin to show the world a whole new way of being a community. Second thing, why loving an enemy matters? Because in so doing, we show the world what God is like. Look there at verse 45. Jesus has said, love your enemy. And then he goes on to say, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What's verse 45 saying? Look out at creation. God sends practical blessing, sunshine and rain, which by the way, in the first century, in an agrarian society, those were the ultimate goods. Without rain and sun, you can't live. There's no food. And Jesus is saying, if you look at God, he sends his practical care and love and blessing to everyone. And when the rain is falling from the sky, that rain it does not discriminate. It doesn't move on the fields of the people that love God and then avoid the fields of the people who don't love him. The sun shines on the good and the evil alike. And what we realize, even as we look at creation, is that God, the God of creation, is a God who loves his enemies. The people who shake their fist at God, the people who want nothing to do with him, the people who are opposed to him, still get the blessing of sun and rain. And Jesus is saying, when you love an enemy, you reflect God's love to the world. When you love an enemy, you actually show the world what God is like. F.D. Bruner, who has a great book on this topic, says this, Jesus' command is not asking the disciples to do anything that God himself isn't doing every day. 
and he does in great profusion throughout the history of the world. This God of creation is also the God who loves enemies. And so let me say, and this is specifically for those of you who identify as Christians and are part of this church, why does Reality Church London exist? Well, at the most basic level, we exist to help London know who God is and to have a relationship with him. And Jesus is saying that one of the ways you do that is by loving enemies because God is rich in love for those who even hate him. And when we love enemies, we show the world a little bit more of what God is like. That brings us to our third reason, why does love for enemies matter? Third, this comes from verses 46 and 47. Love for enemy is the purest form of love that there is. It's the purest form of love that there is. You see, most love, love that you might have in your family, love that you have romantically, basically all human forms of love have some degree of self-interest attached to them. I mean, think even of romantic love. You do love another person, but at some level, you love how that person makes you feel. You know that electricity when you start dating and you touch somebody's hand? You love what it does to you. You love what it feels like. Jesus is saying, but love for enemies just may be the purest kind of love there is because there's no self-interest attached to it. It's a kind of love that gives and expects nothing in return. It's a kind of love that's shown to a person who really is undeserving. It's a kind of love that's disinterested from the interests of the self. Now, Jesus says in verses 46 and 47, everyone can love people that they hope to get something from. It's pretty easy, it's pretty natural to be kind to people that are in your community, that are in your circle, or people that you hope to get some kind of benefit from. Anyone can do that, Jesus says. But loving an enemy, (laughs) that's supernatural work. That's love in its purest form. And discipleship, according to Jesus, is a call to be different. It's a call to love those that we would have no other reason to do so were it not for the very command of God himself. Fourth reason why loving enemies matters, why this is so important. When you love an enemy, it's the beginning of the end of evil. It's the beginning of the end of evil. Verses 38 through 42, we're not spending a ton of time unpacking this section today, but in verses 38 through 42, Jesus is basically talking about non-retaliation. He's saying, in your life, you can expect to be hurt. You can expect to be uh, taken advantage of by others, mistreated. And when that happens, I don't want you to give into the instinct to take vengeance, to settle the score, to get even. What we often do is if we're hurt, we immediately in our minds think, how do we get someone back? How do we get even with them? And Jesus is saying, if you're my follower, I don't want that instinct to characterize you. Why? Because, and I think we all know this, you've probably experienced this, but that urge to settle the score, to get even, that doesn't actually bring relief. Oh, you might have moment pleasure, in an instant to see someone else hurt and say, ah, I feel better, but that goes away. And what remains is a sense that the wound is deepened. The conflict has escalated and your soul has actually been scarred. 
Earlier, I mentioned Dr. King and his great sermon on this passage, which has had a great influence on me. And in that sermon, Dr. King says this about non-retaliation. He says, returning hate for hate only multiplies hate. And it adds deeper darkness to a night that is already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. You see, that insight is brilliant. and It's right in line with the teaching of Jesus. The reason why non-retaliation is the way of Jesus is because it's the only thing that actually begins to end the destructive cycle of violence. If you hate those who hate you, we just increase hate and deepen the wounds. But what Jesus is inviting us into is a kind of love that actually turns enemies even into friends. And that's the beginning of the end of evil. That's the power of love even for enemy. That it can take someone who was an enemy and turn them into a friend. Now, that's why loving an enemy matters. Do you see how important this idea is for God's people in the world? We reflect him, we show his love, and we actually begin to see the end of evil and the end of hate in our lives and in our communities. So that leads us then to ask, well, how do you do it? How do you love an enemy? And here I'll be a little more brief, but I intend to be as practical as I can be. How do you love an enemy? couple things to note. First, I love that Jesus is so realistic. He says, love your enemies. He doesn't say like them. He doesn't say take them out for coffee and become besties with them. Jesus is saying, I want you to love. Now, for many of us, love has been way too sentimentalized. We think of love as warm and fuzzy feelings. But in the Bible, love is actually much more of an action. It's usually an action prior to a, cho- uh, to a feeling. To love someone is to make a conscious choice to put their good ahead of your own. And Jesus is saying, that's what I want from you. I want you to love your enemy. How do you do that? Well, first, it starts always with recognition. What do you have to recognize? Well, the evil that a person has done, the way that they've hurt you, never fully expresses the fullness of their humanity. It's really hard to see that sometimes when you've been deeply hurt. But the first thing Jesus would say, if you're gonna love an enemy, what you have to do is recognize that the evil deed never fully expresses what that person is. If someone has lied to you, it's pretty easy for us to think of them as a liar. Capital L, that's all they are, liar. But Jesus is saying, actually, the key to love is to be able to see, yes, they've done wrong. They've done an injustice and we shouldn't minimize that. But that's not all they are. They're a person that is made in the image of God. And so, yes, there's something that might need to be accounted for. Yes, there's justice that needs to be done, but that person is made in the very image of God, same as me. And Jesus is inviting his disciples to look out into the world and not to see less, not to minimize wrong, but to see more to see whose image a person has been made in. So it starts with recognition, but then it moves, and this is where we'll spend a couple of minutes, it moves to prayer. This is practically speaking what Jesus says love for enemies looks like. It's there in verse 44. I tell you, love your enemies 
and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who seek your harm. I love how realistic and accessible this is because listen, I gotta be clear. Some of you have experienced such profound hurt in your life. Some of you have been hurt by people who are so close to you that trying to have a relationship with that person is not wise, it's not practical. Some of you have been hurt, you've been taken advantage of, you've been abused. And Jesus is not saying that he wants you to go out into the world and pretend like that hurt has never happened. He's not saying that we need to have equal kinds of relationships with all people. But what he is saying is that we're called to love. And the most pure form of showing love to another person is by praying for them. Prayer is not always the only thing you can do, but it's always the most loving thing that you can do. Because when you pray for another person, what are you doing? You're bringing them into the presence of God. And that person who is your enemy, what they need more than anything else is more of God. And God actually knows what they ultimately need. You see, you and I, the reason why vengeance doesn't work is because we don't actually know what a person needs. We might think we do, but God actually does. And in prayer, what you do is you bring someone to God and you bring your honesty to God. You know, one of the things that I love about the book of Psalms, which is the prayer book of the Bible, is how realistic it is. You see, when I say we need to be people who pray for our enemies, some of us think that that means flowery language, praying vague blessings for people. Read the book of Psalms and you'll see a lot of anger, a lot of raw emotion. Sometimes in the book of Psalms, praying for your enemies looks like calling down justice from heaven. Sometimes prayer in the book of Psalms looked like saying to God, please, these enemies of mine, stop them in their tracks, thwart their purposes, give them unsuccess. And other times it looks like saying to God, I am filled with anger. I'm filled with a sense of hatred for this person. And I bring that to you. I bring my whole self to you. And I ask for you to meet me. You see, Jesus is saying, you have enemies, pray for them. Bring them into my presence. However you feel, whatever you long to see in their life, bring that to me in prayer. And as you do so, what happens? Well, you change. You may not start liking the person. You may not even trust them again. But you're going to stop hating them. Because it's very difficult to go on hating someone that you're praying for. And in that prayer, in bringing a person to God, you change and you actually find your own soul to be healed and liberated and freed. Jesus is saying, I want you to love your enemy in the form of bringing them to me in prayer. So realistic and so accessible. So that leads us then to ask finally, well, what do we need? I mean, what Jesus is asking is Dr. King has said, this is the hardest thing that he's asked of his followers a kind of pure, disinterested love that actually prays for people, asking God to meet them however he needs to. I mean, how do we become a people? How do we become a church that loves others in this way? Well, the first thing we have to acknowledge is that we can't do this on our own. We need help from beyond the walls of this world. We don't have the resources in ourselves to love others like this. But thankfully, God has given us not just something, He's given us someone. 
If you look again at verse 45, remember that God, uh, Jesus says, one of the ways God shows love, even to his enemies, is by giving them rain and sunshine. But that's not the only thing that God has ever sent to show love for an enemy. Let me read to you. This is from Romans chapter 5. The Apostle Paul says this, God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Paul's saying, and what Jesus is pointing us towards is the recognition, God is the ultimate enemy lover of all time. And on the cross, in the very death of Jesus, what you see is the greatest act of enemy love the world has ever known. Because there, as Jesus died on the cross, what did he do? Literally praying for his enemies. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. And on that cross, Jesus is sending ultimate blessing, not just physical acts of creation, but the spiritual possibility of a right relationship to God. Jesus on the cross is showing love for enemy. And what Jesus is saying, what we need to recognize is the only way that we become a people who can love others sacrificially, the only way we can love our enemies is if we realize that we are enemies of God who have been loved by Jesus. That's the only way it happens. When that love is real to you, when you see what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, when you see him saying to you, you were my enemy in your sin and in your rebellion and your self-absorption. But I reached down and I gave you not just sunshine and rain, but I gave you my very life. When that love becomes real to you, when that love moves into the center of your soul, we become a people who slowly yet surely begin to become more disinterested in our love. That is to say, we can love others from whom we stand nothing to gain. We can love even our enemies. And the reason I know that is not only because the Bible says it, but throughout the course of history, there are incredible examples of Christians who have been so shaped by the love of Jesus that in moments of great intensity, they're actually able to love their enemies. Some of you know the name Cory ten Boom. She was originally from Holland, and she and her family hid Jews during the Holocaust. And eventually, she and her father and her sister were found, they were discovered, and they were taken to a concentration camp in Ravensbrück. And in that camp, this woman's only concentration camp, Corrie Ten Boom's sister, whose name was Betsy, died. And eventually, her father died as well. And so here is Corrie Ten Boom, because of her love for other people, taken into prison, shown incredible evil. But ultimately, at the end of the war, she survived and she was liberated. So fast forward two years, in 1947, Corrie Ten Boom, who was a Christian and who loved others because of the love of Jesus, was now speaking at a church in Munich in Germany. And she was talking about the power of God's love and about Jesus and his death and about the beauty of forgiveness. And she, get, she gave this wonderful talk. And as soon as her talk concluded, everyone starts filing out of the church except one man who starts walking towards her. And she, as she looks at the man walking towards her, she freezes in fear because she recognizes that that's one of the guards from the camp at Ravensbrook. This is one of the guards from the concentration camp. 
And this man makes his way all the way up to her. And he says this, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since then, I've become a Christian. Now I know that God has forgiven me for all the terrible things that I've done. But, and he extends his hand, I would like to ask you as well, will you forgive me? I mean, imagine what that must have been like for Corey Ten Boom. The evil that she experienced and standing there, this man asking for forgiveness. So she says, woodenly and mechanically, after what felt like the longest silence of my life, I thrust my hand into the one that was stretched out to me. She says, I knew that I couldn't just talk about forgiveness that I've received from God without being willing to show it to others. And she declared, I forgive you, brother, with all of my heart. And she says, we stood there, former guard and former prisoner, shaking hands. Never have I known God's love so intensely as I did in that moment. My friends, what's happening? That's a person who recognizes the love of God that has been shown to her. And she's now attempting to show that love to others. I want to be part of a community that has people like that. Who have so experienced God's love in Jesus that we become a community that can forgive our enemies in the small and yes, even in the big ways. It's the love of God in Jesus which can produce that. So what do we do? We give ourselves to Jesus. And we ask him to make that love more real to us today that we might be transformed as a result. Let's pray. Our God, thank you so much for this passage, not only because of the information it gives us, but because it brings us yet again to Jesus. Because we realize that we do not have the resources in ourselves to love others. Some of us, God, here this morning have been deeply hurt. We have enemies and so, Lord, we bring ourselves to you today. We want to rest in your love. We want to be transformed by your love so that we can love others, even those who have hurt us. Give us wisdom and give us more of Jesus, we ask, as we come to you now in this time of response, praying in Jesus' name. Amen.